fix on them a gaze that was always enough to make them take to their legs in terror. For how is it possible to believe that those large brown protuberant eyes in Silas Morner's pale face really saw nothing very distinctly that was not close to them, and not, rather, that their dreadful stare could dart, cramp, or rickets, or a wry mouth at any boy who happened to be in the rear? They had perhaps heard their fathers and mothers hint that Silas Marner could cure folks' rheumatism if he had a mind, and add, still more darkly, that if you could only speak the devil fair enough, he might save you the cost of the doctor. Such strange lingering echoes of the old demon worship might perhaps even now be caught by the diligent listener among the grey-haired peasantry for the rude mind with difficulty associates the ideas of power and benignity. A shadowy conception of power that by much persuasion can be induced to refrain from inflicting harm is the shape most easily taken by the sense of the invisible in the minds of men who have always been pressed close by primitive wants, and to whom a life of hard toil has never been illuminated by any enthusiastic religious faith. To them pain and mishap present a far wider range of possibilities than gladness and enjoyment. Their imagination is almost barren of the images that feed desire and hope, but is all overgrown by recollections that are a perpetual pasture to fear. "'Is there anything you can fancy that you would like to eat?' I once said to an old laboring man who was in his last illness, and who had refused all the food his wife had offered him. "'No,' he answered. "'I've never been used to nothing but common victual, and I can't eat that.' Experience had bred no fancies in him that could raise the phantasm of appetite, and Ravelow was a village where many of the old echoes lingered, undrowned by new voices. Not that it was one of those barren parishes lying on the outskirts of civilization, inhabited by meager sheep and thinly scattered shepherds. On the contrary, it lay in the rich central plain of what we are pleased to call Merry England, and held farms which, speaking from a spiritual point of view, paid highly desirable tithes. But it was nestled in a snug, well-wooded hollow, quite an hour's journey on horseback from any turnpike, where it was never reached by the vibrations of the coach-horn or of public opinion. It was an important-looking village, with a fine old church and large churchyard in the heart of it, and two or three large brick-and-stone homesteads, with well-walled orchards and ornamental weathercocks, standing close upon the road, and lifting more imposing fronts than the rectory, which peeped from among the trees on the other side of the churchyard, a village which showed at once the summits of its social life, and told the practiced eye that there was no great park and manor house in the vicinity, but that there were several chiefs in Ravelow who could farm badly quite at their ease, drawing enough money from their bad farming in those war times to live in a rollicking fashion and keep a jolly Christmas, Whitson, and Eastertide. It was fifteen years since Silas Marner had first come to Ravelow. He was then simply a pallid young man with prominent short-sighted brown eyes, whose appearance would have had nothing strange for people of average culture and experience, but for the villagers near whom he had come to settle, it had mysterious peculiarities which corresponded with the exceptional nature of his occupation and his advent from an unknown region called Northard. So had his way of life. He invited no comer to step across his door sill, 
and he never strolled into the village to drink a pint at the Rainbow or to gossip at the Wheelwrights. He sought no man or woman, save for the purposes of his calling, or in order to supply himself with necessaries, and it was soon clear to the Ravelo lasses that he would never urge one of them to accept him against her will, quite as if he had heard them declare that they would never marry a dead man come to life again. This view of Marner's personality was not without another ground than his pale face and unexampled eyes, for Jem Rodney, the mole-catcher, averred that one evening, as he was returning homeward, he saw Silas Marner leaning against a stile with a heavy bag on his back, instead of resting the bag on the stile as a man in his senses would have done, and that, on coming up to him, he saw that Marner's eyes were set like a dead man's, and he spoke to him and shook him, and his limbs were stiff, and his hands clutched the bag as if they'd been...